0: Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts to your word. Take away anything of uh, merely a human origin and enable us to concentrate on what you, by your Spirit, are saying to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that today will not be uh, the last time I get the chance to share in ministry and ministry in some sort here in Kirkpatrick. But uh, it may be the last in a while, and it's always difficult to know what to to preach on at times like these. Uh, As far as personal reflections are concerned, I don't want those to to dominate what I say. I just need to say thank you very much for how much you have made, Gwen, and I feel at home uh, in this place for all your kindness and support. I particularly want to thank uh, Christoph and Edna and the session and the leaders, and uh, Everyone, for all that they have uh, said to us, Uh, we appreciate it. And a number of of you have said things that are are really far too kind. Although I must say, I have got used to the line where people come up to me and say, Monty, we're so sorry you're leaving, we're really going to miss Gwen. Later on uh, tonight, I've decided to go for the the bigger picture, the the sort of more hopefully uh, encouraging and inspirational. Uh, address but this morning I I want to look not so much at what we as a church should be doing but at who we are and I want us to look at second Thessalonians Uh, this early letter of Paul's to a church who he dearly loved he had an interesting history with the Thessalonians he was guided to them supernaturally you can read this in Acts chapter 16 and 17 Uh, He was guided to them supernaturally by a vision of a man from Macedonia, from Thessalonica, saying, come over and help us. He founded the church there in the context of great persecution. He had an affection for them that, that any biological parent would have for their offspring, because spiritually the birth of this church had been as painful for Paul as, I guess, any physical birth. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 where he says, We were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well. He gave himself for this church. These letters to the Thessalonians are the earliest extant letters that we have from Paul. In fact, there's an interesting argument that 2 Thessalonians was actually written first because the numbering of the letters in the Bible always has to do with the length of them, not with their chronology. The second letter is always the shorter one. That doesn't really matter one way or the other. Whatever. These words come straight from the heart of an apostle. He's not in prison, he's not under house arrest like the later letters, but right in the middle of active ministry, anxious to guide and direct his new growing church along the right path. Now if you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and a good part of chapter 2, uh, you can divide his concerns (coughs) into three main parts. He speaks of the importance of looking back and giving thanks. He speaks of the importance of looking forward and trusting God and of looking upwards and standing firm in what they believe. So if you like, first of all, there's the journey so far. The journey so far. He reminds us of the importance of looking back and giving thanks. Paul reflects fondly on the faith of the Thessalonians. He's so attached to them and so delighted by their faith that he has no reticence in using the word boast for what he, that, that is what he does when he speaks of their faith. In and, and, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, uh, the, the first letter, we, we see that they're a church which others look to for inspiration. In only the few years that I have been here, I've heard lots of people speak fondly about Kirkpatrick uh, around the country. Like the other churches of Paul's Day... They have heard of your faith, and Kirkpatrick is known around the place as somewhere where God is at work and where good things are happening. We have so much to give thanks for here in Kirkpatrick. But if I, and I know Christoph is exactly the same in this, if we are to boast of what is going on here, we don't want to boast about the numbers or the enthusiasm or the wide age range of the members, or the number of activities that are taking place, or the activity in the community, or the amount of giving. If in Pauline terms we are to boast, we have to boast of what God is doing, of what God is doing in your lives, about how even though things might be incredibly tough for some of you, you persevere in all the trials you're facing, We want to boast of how your love is evidently increasing. Clear for all to see. Of how your faith is growing more and more day by day. I want all of us to be able to look back and give thanks to God for the journey so far and to be able to say, yes, there are things that we can boast about in spiritual terms because God has been good. The vision of those who planted this church a hundred years or so ago, who faithfully ministered here over many years, the faithfulness above all of God preserving the church through good times, through bad times, the joy of being able to witness as this church has grown the continued relevance and power of the gospel to change lives. Because that's what really matters. How do you reflect on the past? Because, you see, there are several wrong ways in which you can reflect on the past. They're what I call the heavy heart and the misty eyes. The heavy heart looks back and always thinks of the things that went wrong, personally or as a church. They look back and they think of the mistakes. They think of the failures. They think of the disappointments. They find it hard to live in the light of grace or forgiveness. And some of us are always prone to remembering where we made wrong or unwise decisions, where things didn't work out as we planned. Paul's whole emphasis in the first chapter of Second Thessalonians is to thank for God for what he has done, not for what we haven't done. To praise God for what he has achieved, not what we have failed to achieve. To praise God for the things that have been given to us and the prayers that have been answered, not for the things that we still feel disappointed over or the things that we would like to have but don't have. That's the heavy heart. Then there's the misty eyes. The misty eyes look back as if the past had no problems. Everything was much better Everyone knew everybody else in the church. It was one big happy family. More people came to our organizations. There were great events that we used to run that don't happen anymore. Folks, the past was no better or worse than today. The past had its problems. The past had conflicts. The past had disappointments. It's just as if you're prone to be of the Misty Eye variety, they tend to be filtered out and forgotten. <clears throat> the issue is that the God who was faithful in the past will still be faithful today. Just as God broke into fragmented and broken lives and situations in the past, so He still can today and so He will. If we have a, a perspective on the past, if we have a thankful heart for the past, then we will find it easier to have a godly perspective and thankful heart for the present. But if we struggle to live with the past, if we have problems coming to terms with grace, in terms of the journey so far, then we will have problems with grace today. So let's look back with thanks for the times God visited His people in power and changed lives by His Holy Spirit. Secondly, there's the journey ahead. Paul encourages us to look forward and to dream and above all, to trust in God. It's important to dream and to trust If you read the whole book of 2 Thessalonians, it would be easy to get sidetracked into some of the stuff that Paul is talking about in terms of the end of the world, because some of it's pretty cryptic, and a lot of 2 Thessalonians has to do with the future. Paul is giving them confidence that where their troubles are the result of evil and persecution, that they weren't to give in. But they had to remember that there's a day coming when justice will arrive. That essentially is the thinking behind all those passages about and verses about the end of the world. He's he's going into that, not that we should get sidetracked or confused about the details, but that we can have confidence in the big picture. There is coming a day when Jesus will be revealed again in his glory, where he'll be marveled at by all who believe, verse 10. When there will be relief for their troubles, verse 7. A day when all that is evil will be banished and when God's kingdom finally is established. That is what we've got to keep our eyes on as we look to the future. But it's good to dream. What are your dreams for this place? I'll say more about that tonight. But meanwhile, let's make sure that we aren't afraid to dream. That we're not complacent because complacency breeds pride, and pride breeds self reliance, and self reliance breeds ineffectiveness and even spiritual shipwreck or death. Dreaming dreams is part of the age of the Spirit, foretold by Joel and fulfilled in Pentecost. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And that dreaming isn't a silly, disconnected reverie of those who aren't quite living on this planet. It's the holy passion of those who aren't prepared to accept the status quo, who believe that things should be different and can be different. And as we dream, we trust. As we look forward and as we trust, we place our ambitions in the hands of God. We trust our future to God. We ensure that our dreams will never be selfish dreams, but will be nothing short of what he wants for us. G.D. Watson was an American Methodist of a hundred years ago. He wrote these amazing words. It's a long quote, but I don't think your attention will flag, because just listen to these words. He writes this. If God has called you to be truly like Jesus in all your spirit, he will draw you into a life of crucifixion and humility. He will put on you such demands of obedience that you will not be allowed to follow other Christians. In many ways, he seems to let other good people do things that he will not let you do. Others who seem to be very religious and useful may push themselves, pull wires, scheme to carry out their plans. But you cannot. You cannot. If you attempt it, you will meet with such failure and rebuke from the Lord as to make you sorely penitent. Others will be allowed to succeed in making great sums of money or having a legacy left to them or in having luxuries. And God may supply you only on a day-to-day basis because He wants you to have something far better than gold, and that is a helpless dependence on Him and His unseen treasury." The Lord may let others be honored and put forward while keeping you hidden in obscurity because He wants to produce some choice, fragrant fruit for His coming glory that can only be produced in the shade. God may let others be great but keep you small. He will let others do a work for Him and get the credit, but He will make you work and toil without knowing how much you're doing. And then to make your work still more precious, He will let others get the credit for the work that you have done. This to teach you the